It was over a year ago that Premier Christy Clark ordered school officials to find millions of dollars in savings in their budgets. At the time, she described the funding clawback as, quote, low-hanging fruit. It was a description that rankled school officials after years of budget cutting. Since then, school boards have been wrangling with tough decisions about layoffs and school closings to balance their books. This week, Education Minister Mike Bernier offered some financial assistance. I want to start by thanking the school districts for all of the hard work that they've done, for the work that their staff uh, has done as well to realize those administrative savings, uh, the great work they've done uh, in districts right across the province of British Columbia. So today I'm happy to announce that we will be redirecting that $25 million in administrative savings back to the school districts for frontline services for students. Education Minister Mike Bernier announcing a $25 million boost in school funding this week. Our political panel joined me in studio to discuss this and more this morning. Elizabeth Cull, a former NDP cabinet minister. Martin Brown, who's former chief of staff to then Premier Gordon Campbell. And Norman Spector, who served at the top in both Victoria and Ottawa. Good morning to all three of you. Uh, Elizabeth, what do you make of this? The government giving back some of the money it extracted from school board budgets? Uh, Why would they be doing this now? Well, uh, do you think there's an election coming up in the next year? Uh, clearly, the um, the outrage from the school boards, but also from parents, is starting to impact MLAs in their ridings, particularly some of those ridings where the races might be really close and the school issues are starting to boil up there. And so the pressures come on to the government to to do something about it. I mean, look look at what they've done. They've they go in and they say make administrative savings, and the school districts think, okay, well we we can. We can do that. We've been squeezing our budgets and there isn't any low-hanging fruit left, but we can we can look further and we can save some important programs. We can save music. We can save counselors. We can save special education, that type of thing. And then discovering that, no, you don't get to save that money. It just went off to the provincial government. Uh, on top of that, there was the additional expenditures that have been downloaded onto the school districts, MSP premiums, hydro rates going up, um, salaries that have been uh, negotiated by the province but have to be paid for by the school districts. And then this uh, new technology thing that costs way more than what the school districts were paying before when the uh, systems that they had. So all of that additional cost goes on to them. And school districts are trying to figure out how to just provide a decent education to the kids in this province. It's not always all importables. So to turn around and give a little crumb back like this is, I mean, no school district is going to going to slam them for it. Of course, they're thankful to get anything. But it really is misleading to go out and make a bunch of announcements about how great the government is in restoring this funding because the school boards have had to make tough decisions that affect children's education. And parents know that. Martin, what do you make of it? Is it really just giving a crumb back after, you know, taking away a lot more from the provincial government or what? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. That of course, it's driven by the election and just trying to stem off the heat that was building a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a one-time return of $25 million that they're actually going to take from the districts. Uh, I mean, really what the government's doing here uh, is, is saying, we know that there's savings that can be found in these school districts. It's forced them to find them in administration. Uh, and it always wanted to put that money back into classrooms, uh, you know, if they made a long-term commitment and said, now you can actually budget for that $25 million that you saved as long as it goes into classrooms, uh, parents would be happy, but they're not doing that. Uh, so the NDP will do that in the next election. Uh, you know, the $45 million that they're actually also investing the government and in crowing about in capital fix-up 
uh, projects, five of which, by the way, are for, for projects needed in Surrey, but all happily benefit the Liberals uh, in writings that they hold. Uh, that $45 million, I think that's more of a concern. You've got schools like right here in Brentwood Bay, the Bayside uh, Middle School, you know, where because they didn't have the money that they should have had for capital improvements, uh, $2 million is now three times that cost uh, to fix it, uh, to fix the roof. And it turns out they've got mold in the walls that are that are a health hazard for kids. Across the province, we've got other examples of asbestos. We've got examples of, you know, kids being taught in hallways, for heaven's sakes, you know, and before the fire marshal says you can't do that, you got to move them out to a, to a portable. Uh, so, you know, again, bragging about a, a $45 million investment uh, when they're sitting on $100 million that, as Norman will point out, we've spent a million times uh, in the <laughs> prosperity fund that is uh, just sitting there waiting for investment. Norman, what do you make of this announcement and, and, and the potential or, or lack thereof for schools and education to be a, a big uh, election issue next year? Well, it's, look, it's clear we're, gonna, we're in an election year. It's, what, 11 months away. Um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. In fact, we saw an announcement yesterday of a major spending uh, on new nursing homes and new beds in nursing homes. And I think one of the themes of the Liberals in the election is going to be uh, we've done the tough stuff. We've got a balanced budget. We've got a surplus. And now is the time to start returning that surplus to the taxpayer, taxpayers who this week received their municipal tax forms. And in the first line, you'll see is a large part of that taxation is for education spending. So I think this was a rather ingenious way of uh, getting the bureaucrats in school boards who are always averse to uh, cutting their own budget. Uh, uh, very difficult for provincial governments to bring some spending restraint to third parties. It's easier to restrain your own budget uh, to, to get them to cut administration and then return that to uh, education spending. As, as my colleague said, it would have been a lot better if this had been recurring spending. But I think we're going to see a lot more of this kind of spending and it's going to be one of the contrasts in the next provincial election. You know, I'd buy that argument, Norman, if there was um, solid evidence that there was a lot of fat in administration in school districts. But, you know, this has been going on for decades where the province comes out and says, oh, there's, you know, waste in administration in school, school districts. You've got to cut that administration budget. And it's gone on and on and on. There's not anything left to cut at this point. But boy, it sure plays well in election year. It feeds uh, to, into the sort of the popular narrative that somehow there's money being squandered somewhere. You can't just keep going back and cutting and cutting and cutting and expecting there to be something left to cut at the end. Well, Elizabeth, I don't know. I've, I've spent my career in the public service and I've never seen a budget that couldn't be cut on the administrative side. Never. I've spent my year, my career in the public service too, and I've looked at some of those cuts, particularly when I was finance minister. And yes, you can make them, but they hurt and they do have impact on service delivery. From cuts, we go to studies, another uh, popular pastime in government. The BC government is moving ahead on consultations about integrating municipal services in the capital region. They've hired former Liberal cabinet minister George Abbott's company to help to look at this, uh, but he's uh, not going to be looking at anything that has uh, the word amalgamation on it, I understand. Martin, what do you think of this choice for the task and the task before George Abbott? Well, I don't make too much of it. Uh, they're ragging the puck on the on the the issue is what they're doing by hiring consultants. But you know, we should listeners should know that uh, this this is a ninety thousand dollar contract that was bid on by two companies, not just the one that George Abbott is part of. 
Uh, and in fact, the company that he's part of includes uh, not just him, who is a former minister of uh, community services. It, it includes two former deputy ministers of community services, one of whom is the chair of, for this, Dale Wall, a very smart, good guy. Uh, and a former deputy finance minister who's one of the most highly regarded and sought after, uh, you know, ex-public servants uh, in the province. And, and all they're doing right now at this point is they're going to be out there uh, reporting on the issues that municipalities say that they're facing uh, by duplicating services, looking at the best practices from other jurisdictions, uh, and and uh, reporting on on the, uh, the the best practices and models that are out there, but they're not making any recommendations, and I don't expect we'll see any real announcement coming from this before the election. Martin calls this ragging the puck. Uh, do you think Peter Fassbender and the, the province should be doing more, Norman? I mean, after all, in a lot of municipalities, voters actually had a real question that involved the word amalgamation, and in most of them, they said yes. Should the province be doing more than having this uh, uh, ninety thousand dollars study on integration of services? Well, I think it is ragging the puck. Uh, but And for the life of me, I've never been able to figure out why this government doesn't just bring the hammer down on municipal uh, amalgamation. I, I just don't see – I mean the, the dysfunctionality of, of our community is clear. The costs we're bearing are clear. Um, and uh, I, I, politically, I don't see what the current government has to lose by bringing the hammer down. And the only way this is going to happen is by bringing the hammer down. Uh, Elizabeth, what do you make of this? Uh, a $90,000 study to, uh, or, or a consultation rather, to look at integrating municipal services in the capital region. Well, I think we're going to get agreement here. And, you know, I'd almost say that this is just another cynical pre-election uh, uh, decision. But wait a minute, there aren't any liberals in this area. So there's nothing to lose here. You know, this is basically uh, a decision that's not going to hurt them politically. And by avoiding the tough question about actually looking at whether amalgamation would make sense, because there's lots of studies out there uh, for and against it, but let's do one on the capital region. Let's get the numbers for our communities and put it in front of people, and then we can make decisions in a, in a more rational way. And if it has to be forced, then at least you've got um, a sound basis to make that policy decision on. So I don't know why they're they're not doing anything about it. Maybe they just don't want the headache in the Victoria area. If they ever did uh, go the route that uh, Norman suggests and tried to force some amalgamation of some municipalities here, might it set a, a precedent that, that uh, a provincial government doesn't want to have to uh, look in the eye when it comes to Metro Vancouver? Well, there's no percentage in it for them, for starters. Yes, they don't have any liberal MLAs here, uh, but they're hoping that they might again. Uh, certainly in Saanich North, they would be hoping that. They'd be maybe hoping they'd get Andrew Weaver's seat back in Oak Bay, et cetera. Uh, and they don't want to irritate and anger uh, residents that would, would not favor amalgamation. I, I don't think amalgamation right now, if you took a vote, would fly uh, with most property taxpayers uh, because people like to have their own little, you know, say in their own little fiefdoms. But but the broad, broader challenge is if they did it in Victoria, uh, in Greater Victoria, then of course it begs the question, what are you going to do in Greater Vancouver? Because the same argument holds true. There's way, way, way too many municipal governments uh, in, in Greater Vancouver uh, with replicating administrative costs and all that goes with it. Uh, and we should be moving in the way that, uh, that Toronto did, frankly, I think, and, and integrating those services formally by amalgamating. Norman? I think Martin's right. I think that, uh, believe it or not, the uh, Liberals are actually going to be going after Andrew Weaver's seat. I think the big thinkers, uh, you know, just 
are totally confused into not understanding that Andrew Weaver is one of the best things they have going for them in the next provincial election and they should be giving him a pass and letting him campaign provincially. But incredibly enough, I think the big thinkers, the big heads and the uh, uh, tall foreheads in the BC Liberal Party are actually thinking of going after Andrew Weaver's seat. Let's move on and talk about uh, the Premier's trade mission. Trade missions don't tend to get a lot of attention, but the current one made the news after someone pointed out that representatives of two busy Vancouver real estate companies were on the trip on this work. Uh, this one. Premier Clark was quick to insist the real estate officials were not promoting Vancouver house sales on the trip, only providing info for businesses. Uh, are the optics of this a problem, do you think, Elizabeth, for the Premier, even if they're not promoting uh, uh, housing, houses for sale in Vancouver? Yeah, I mean, in the overall scheme of things in provincial politics these days, this is this particular issue isn't a very big one. But the optics are bad because the whole question about uh, housing and housing costs, housing affordability uh, in Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, and also now in Victoria and other major centers has become has the potential to be a very large election issue. So this just doesn't look good, and it shows that you know she's not thinking about. Uh, not only what should be done and how to actually address this problem, but how to make sure that people think that she's um, she's paying attention to it. Because running into an election year, that's that's very important. That's what the education funding is all about. It's not necessarily about fixing the problems in education, but making sure the voters know that they're paying attention to it. And so far, uh, Christy Clark hasn't seemed to given much attention to housing. And it's like, uh, I don't understand it because I think in Vancouver, where it is very vote-rich for the Liberals, uh, she should be paying far more attention to this issue than she is and coming up with some solutions or some proposals that are going to start to address the problem. And to date, she hasn't really shown that she gets it. Should she have brought to real estate company representatives on this trip in your view, Martin? Uh, well, I think that the problem with these trips in general is that they, they just put out an offer and say, anybody wants to come with the premier, uh, let's have a team BC of business leaders and, uh, and, and business owners come and be part of the premier. Uh, that gives an air of legitimacy to those people that go with the premier for these trade missions. And uh, these two real estate companies in particular, they've been the subject of some controversy, you know. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I don't think uh, it's a good thing for the trade mission because certainly even the controversy has overwhelmed the purpose of the trade mission. They're, the government's found itself just on the on the pin defending why it's bringing these two uh, companies. Uh, and fundamentally, no, they shouldn't be bringing them because you think, you know, what on earth are you doing bringing uh, real estate companies whose job it is to market BC properties in Asia uh, and whether they're commercial properties or residential properties, uh, we're actually looking for new buyers for BC properties when there are buyers of plenty in BC uh, and throughout North America and Canada. So I don't think that uh, that she should have done it. Norma, what do you what do you make of this? Well, it shouldn't have been a problem uh, because another fact that uh, was brought out in a, an article in the Georgia Strait is that these two companies weren't even going on the China part of the uh, mission. They were going to the Philippines. And near as I can make out from the data, you ha don't have many Filipinos buying uh, multi-million dollar properties, either residential or commercial in Vancouver. However, as Elizabeth says, the issue is so alive now, it is an optical problem and it probably would have been better to screen these people out from the trade mission. Uh, two minutes left. I wonder if we can squeeze in a rare fourth uh, topic. The uh, Green Party of British Columbia is holding its convention at UVic uh, this weekend. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Weaver uh, and Norman and the, and the Liberals uh, going after his seat. I wonder what each of you think of the potential for the party from this convention uh, with less than a year to go before the election. Martin, what do you think about this convention in general for the Greens? 
Well, I think it has a huge potential for the Greens to give them a new air of credibility. Uh, I think they're going to have a completely different slate of candidates, uh, a province-wide slate of candidates, which is different. Uh, and I think that uh, the policy proposals that they put forth this weekend are going to be most interesting. Weaver's trying to shine a light on that. And uh, and I think they'll, they'll challenge the NDP because they'll be out there well in advance of the NDP with hard proposals about what they're going to do that are going to look uh, balanced responsible and credible, uh, but also very pointed in some of these areas that uh, so far the NDP have, you know, played uh, uh, soft and loose with. So, Elizabeth, should the NDP be worried? The NDP has to pay attention to what the Greens are doing, but I think the more interesting thing about the convention is that if it gets good coverage, we'll really get to see where the Greens are on social issues because the, the Greens, because of their their focus on the environment, have managed to be able to slide along um, under the cover of being progressive on many, many issues. And in many cases, they're, they're nowhere near as progressive as the NDP is on social issues. So that's one thing that I would be looking for. The other thing is everybody looks to Andrew Weaver and says, you know, wow, we've made this uh, breakthrough here, we can do it elsewhere. Maybe, but you know, you have to look at Oak Bay Gordon Head riding, I know really well, it's always elected mavericks. It's always elected people who were not part of, uh, you know, n- not necessarily part of the mainstream. Um, they've, you know, so they've proven before that they're willing to go against the flow. And that doesn't mean that uh, that will work out everywhere else in the province. Norman, final word to you on this. I think Andrew Weaver has to make a basic decision whether he focuses on two or three or four ridings or whether he's going to have a province-wide campaign. And I think we'll have a better idea of that after this weekend. Norman Spector, Elizabeth Cullen, Martin Brown, our Friday political panel. This is On the Island on CBC Radio 1.